Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here, and I hope you guys are have already made your lunch plans here, because we're having the chili cook-off in about an hour, and you can already write my name on the trophy, because I brought my winning chili this morning, and it's going to be good. You better taste it. Stick around. If you're wondering which one it is, is it? It's the best one. Okay, that's mine. No, I'm glad you guys are here, and I hope that you will stick around for our chili cook-off. If you have lunch plans, just cancel them right now, or invite them here. Yeah, that's even better, right, Alexa? Invite your lunch friends here. So um, I'm glad that you guys are here. We have that God and Science series coming up. I'm really excited about that. I've been studying a ton for that. I've read this book on physics, and physics is not my strong suit. I barely passed it in high school, right? But I read a whole book on physics. But just so you know, I will be preaching some of those weeks. Um, but we have some special guests for that series because I'm not the expert in all realms of science. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a, a virologist. I, I met with a virologist and peppered him with questions. But we're going to have some of those people, whether they're in our church or some people in, in the Denver community, they're going to come here, and we're going to have little videos that we're going to show in the morning services. And then for our Sunday night service, which is at 6 p.m., we're going to have the same message, but then after the message, we're going to shut, cut the service off a little early, and we're going to have a time of Q&A for some of those experts. So we're going to have like a biologist. We're going to have one of my philosophy pre- professors from Denver Seminary. He's just a brilliant dude. Um, he's going to come in and talk about some of the philosophy of science, and, and what that, because that's a big thing. I don't know if you knew that, but that's a big part of science is the philosophy behind it. So we've got some great experts, some people in our church too, geologists, um, some people that know way more than physics than I do. They're going to be here. So if you have questions about God, science, evolution, all that stuff, how does it fit together, um, you can send them in. You can send them to me, mwolf at stapletonchurch.com, and we can try to cover them in that series, or you can save them for those night services. You can come back, even if you're a morning person, come back to the night service, and you can ask the questions to these experts who know much more than I do about the scientific subjects, okay? You should be excited about that. Um, yeah, you should be really excited about that. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that I want to cover. Oh, yesterday, um, you ladies put on an incredible baby shower, baby sprinkle. I'm sorry, sprinkle, although they call it a sprinkle, so it'd be smaller because it's like our second and third kid coming up, but it was like a deluge. So I just want to say thank you so much for your generosity, all those women who put that on. Um, we felt incredibly loved. I don't know if you guys know this, but our church is an incredibly loving church. So thank you so much for making us feel loved. My wife felt so loved. Our, our, our twins come in here in eight weeks, are going to be raised in a really good church. So thank you guys. If you're new here and you're like, I, I don't know about it yet, this church is going to love you. Okay, So get plugged in. Get in a community group. Stick around for lunch because this is a church that will love you and you can love the people here. That's what we're about, right? They'll know you are Christians by what? Your love. Your love. That's right. Okay, so we're going to continue our Belong series in the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, you can jump to Romans chapter 12. We'll get there in a second. We'll have the main scriptures as well up on the screen. So you can follow along, whether it's on your smartphone, Bible, or just the screen today. And we talk about Belong because we're dealing with this existential crisis we're facing in our modern day age. It's that we've never been more connected, yet we've never felt more alone. Seriously, that's where we are right now, so connected technologically, and yet we face so much loneliness, isolation, and depression, more than ever before. And it's this weird combination. So we're going to look at one of the reasons why that might be and what could be a solution to it, but I want to take a quick informal poll real quick. Who in here grew up in Colorado? Raise your hand proudly. Okay, I I grew up in Colorado Springs. I wasn't born here, but pretty much my whole life was raised in Colorado. Okay. Now, who in here was raised in the Denver metro area? 
Keep your hand up. Now, who in here was raised out of state? Can you see that? That's a lot, right? That's how it is in this area, and our church in particular. Maybe this area of, of Denver, but man, so many people move to Denver, don't they? So many of you moved here to Denver. And uh, what, what I have found is that that's a difficult, challenging thing. We do live in what's ranked this year is the second best place to live in the country. I think they got it wrong. Austin? Hmm, I don't know about that. That's, that's, Texas? No. Sorry, Texans, but... But, but it's one of the best places. Let, we can agree on that, right? One of the best places. You guys are here. You love living here in Denver. So it's the second pla- best place to live in the country, but it's also the third loneliest. The third loneliest city in the country. And I think those two things kind of intersect because so many of us have moved away from our family and friends to come to the beautiful Colorado. Because of jobs, opportunities, school, the mountains, pot, whatever brought you here. You leave your friends and your family behind. You leave your community to be on your own, right? And it's hard. It's challenging. I remember, even though I grew up in Colorado, when Melissa and I moved to Nebraska, we lived there for five and a half years. And and we went out there, and we thought it would be great. I thought I'd be able to stay connected with all my friends. Oh, you know, it's just one state away, right? Just a six-hour drive to Denver. But man, is it hard to stay connected, isn't it? I see these friends I went to college with and, and lived here in Denver with for a few years. And I see, them, I see all the things that are going on in their life on Facebook and Instagram. I, I can like their posts and even comment on them. And even text them at any time. Skype them even if I wanted to. Yet relationships just tend to drift, don't they? It's so hard. I remember even thinking, man, I'm, I'm definitely going to stay connected with this friend. We talked about it before I moved. And then we'd play a little phone tag. And then a week passes, then a month passes, then it's three months, and that game of phone tag has ended, and you've never talked to each other. Anybody happen, had this happen to them? You can communicate really quickly, and yet we don't. Or, or it makes it harder. You know, even back in the day when you had to write a letter, man, you had to really think about writing a letter, right? Take some time, write that out, and then send it, and then you'd have to wait a few days, they get it, and then send another one back. Man, but you thought about the person. Now, because it's a text or an instant message away, we don't. And it makes relationships fall apart. And that's why I think it makes it so difficult for us and why we're so lonely. We're away from our family and friends in the new city. And it's hard because we thought we could keep up those relationships because of our technology, but we don't. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. When you think about why we do that, I, I think part of it is because we're a very individualistic culture, right? We're very much empowering the individual. You can do your thing, leave your family, go find yourself, go to school, and become empowered as you, you study and, and make it on your own. And we think that we can do that. We think we're strong enough to make it on our own. But then as you actually begin to do it, it's hard. The people who are the strongest, the smartest, the, the most outgoing, oh, that's going to be easy to make friends. And then you get there and it's hard. What I've always found is that people don't laugh at my jokes when I first meet them. They're like, is he funny? And then I think they, they're nice and then they do laugh. Um, but at first people are like, is that a joke or not? I don't know. So it's hard when you are in a new place. It's hard to make friends. But we think we can do it. We think we have the skills. We think we can have the community that I can figure it out on my own. And then we fall out, find out that we can't. Anybody been there? We find out that we can't. We, we've struggled. And I think we've got to change our philosophy a little bit, change our mindset, because we cannot do it on our own. We cannot be empowered in ourselves enough to survive 
in this world, especially those of us who have left our family and friends. What we need is a church community. Really, I mean that. We've seen that in our series. There's lots of good community of friends, but there's something different about the church. So today's message is really going to be applying this message to the church. It's all about the church, this community that we have here. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, somebody invited you, someone dragged you here, you can sit back and relax, okay? This message, you can just chill today, right? That's nice. You can just sit here. But, but I do think as you listen, you're like, mm, that kind of sounds nice. And I am hoping and praying that you will say, maybe I should be a follower of Jesus. Maybe I should be part of this church. If you're here and you're a guest and you've been checking out our church maybe a week or two and you're like, mm, I'm not sure about these people. I don't know about that pastor. He's not very funny. Um, I, I do encourage you to consider getting plugged in here. That's why next Saturday morning at 8.30, we're going to go 8.30 to 10.30, we're going to have that 101 class. You can find out a little bit more about our church. It's required for membership, but you don't have to be a member if you show up. So you can ask questions. Um, but that's a great way to find out more because we do want you to get plugged in because you need community, especially if you've moved from elsewhere. But all of us do. And I think that a church community is the best way to be empowered in the way that we need. That's what we're going to see today in our passage. So Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, in this letter written by Paul to the Christian church in the city of Rome in the first century. Paul wrote, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This is interesting. This is a whole section written to the church, about the church, how to be a community. And he starts out by saying, you need to look at yourself again. But this time, with sober judgment. With sober judgment. Stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Because most of us look at ourselves wrongly. We look in the mirror and we see ourselves way better than we actually are. Or maybe we see ourselves at our best, in our best moment. Yeah, I'm really outgoing. i got a lot of friends. I can make new friends easy. Or or I have the skills I need. I'm going to succeed in the workplace and therefore I'm going to feel fulfilled. I'm smart. I can figure things out. Or or I have stick-to-itiveness. There's nothing going to hold me down. Even if I stumble and it's a struggle, I I can pull myself up. I can do this. See, we view ourselves more highly than we ought. And and that's why Paul is saying, hey, take take yourself down a notch, right? View yourself with sober judgment. You're viewing yourself too highly. You're overestimating your strengths and your skills and your looks and your know-how. You're overestimating those things. So it's time to look at yourself soberly. He's saying, look at yourself honestly. Not just that you shouldn't be drunk, but he's saying, hey, look at yourself with honesty. Do I really have all those skills? Can I really do it on my own? Because you'll look at it and say, I'm not the most skilled, not the most gifted, not the smartest person. I, I do need some help sometimes. I thought I was so great in school, and maybe it was just because I had my mom and dad cheering me on all the time. Now I'm here on my own. It's hard, isn't it? I need some encouragement. Look at yourself with sober judgment. But I think it's interesting. The, the main emphasis is to view yourself not more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment. But I think that sober judgment also goes the other way. Because what happens, and sometimes it's one after the other, we view ourselves so highly with pride, I got this. I can do it. And then you go to the party and you're trying to meet new people and you think you're doing great and then they don't call you back. They ghost you. And then you go home that night and you're feeling down. 
And then you do the opposite, don't you? Man, I don't have anything together. Man, nobody likes me. None of my jokes are funny. Man, I, I, I thought I had it. And you're viewing yourself like just, I'm a terrible, I, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. And we do the opposite. We view ourselves too lowly then. You been there? Sometimes right after the other, right? Or sometimes we'll view ourselves so highly in one area of our life and so lowly in another, and neither one is right, right? Both are somewhere closer to the middle, right? So what Paul is saying is you've got to re-look at yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror this time, but this time with sober judgment. It's time to be humble, right? To be humble and realize, hey, I need some help. And when you do that, you realize you are not as strong, not as powerful, not as smart or good-looking or as funny or as sociable as you thought you were. I need some help. I cannot do it on my own. So it starts with sober judgment. And once you're honest with yourself, you're saying, yep, I do need some friends. I do need some community. I do need a church that would love me and care about me. I need that in my life. Once you've thought of yourself with sober judgment. So then what do we do? What's the solution? Well, Paul gives us an answer here in verse 4 of our passage. In verse 4, Paul says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. See this jump here? Look at yourself soberly. Then you realize that you need some help. And now you've got to realize you should never have been by yourself. God did not make us to survive on our own. He made us to survive in community. He uses this metaphor here, and it's maybe such a common metaphor that we don't think about it. But he says, hey, you have a body with members, fingers, toes, legs, heart, shoulder, liver, And in the same way, there's all these different members, different parts, organs of your body that make up one body. In the same way, in the church, we are the individual members that make up the whole body. This idea of membership has gotten so kind of watered down because everything has members. You're a member at the gym, right? but, But membership here is straight from the Bible. And that's why we practice it. That's why we want you to go to one-on-one class next week. We have membership here in our church. This is very biblical because what it's saying is a member is like a finger, is like an eye or an ear or a nose or a heart or a liver. Who's the liver here? Anybody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you didn't have to raise your hand. But, yeah. but every organ, every member, every part of the body has a function for the whole and is never meant to operate it on its own. I think some of you are like thing. Do you remember thing? From the Adams family? It's a little hand running around. I got this. Like, I can do all this stuff. This hand's just running around everywhere, disconnected from the body. Well, the hand can't see, right? The hand can't talk. The hand can't think for itself. But we think, I got this. I can pick stuff up. Okay? I can text someone with one thumb. Okay? But, but on your own, it's not enough. The hand was never supposed to be disconnected from the arm. And the arm from the body You need the heart to pump blood to the hand to make it function and the brain to be able to help the hand act in the appropriate way. So it's time to stop running around like this, like I got it all on my own. Because you're actually just one part of the whole. And the church is the body of Christ. 
And in one sense, some of you are like, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm part of the body, the big capital B body of Christ, right? Well, all the Christians on the globe, the two billion plus people who claim the name of Jesus, we're all part of the body of Christ, right? Yes, but that body is also a local body. And every Christian must be part of both. And that's why Paul is actually addressing it to one specific church, the church in Rome. Those people that were hanging out in Rome. Hey, you guys are followers of Jesus in this Roman Empire. You guys need each other. You're part of a bigger body. You're not as good as you think you are on your own. That's what he's saying. But together, you're even greater than you ever thought you could be. That's interesting, right? You're part of the body. You're part of a team. You need each other. You're not good enough on your own. And what's amazing about the body of Christ is it can grow. It's amazing is that as we add people in our church, and we've had about 80 to 100 new people start coming to our church over the last couple months. Incredible that, that God is moving here. We added our night service, and it just like basically added a whole group of people. You know, whether they're coming now to these first two services or coming tonight, we're, it's awesome. We love it. But the great thing about it is that all of you who are new here can become part of the body. I don't know if we add another arm. I don't know. I think that's maybe stretching the metaphor a little too far. But the point is it can keep growing the more and more individuals make it up, and every individual makes the body stronger. That's a cool thing. I think it's almost like an aspen tree. Did you guys go drive in the mountains over the last few months? See the, the aspens in fall before that terrible snowstorm came in and ruined it for everybody? And falls in, in Colorado are beautiful, but they're like two days long, right? You go up and you see an aspen, you see one individual beautiful tree, but it's actually connected to all the other aspen trees in the grove. Deep down beneath the surface are the roots that connect one aspen tree to another. They're actually one single organism, sharing roots, nurturing each other, becoming stronger together. That's why they can withstand some of the winds, the difficult, strong winds in the mountains, because they're holding each other up. It looks like one is standing firm on its own, but it's not. There's even one uh, cluster grove of trees, really, in Utah that um, is about, I think, seven square miles. This huge grove, I'm sorry, no, 7,000 acres. And it, they, they said if you estimated its weight, it would be 13 million pounds. All these trees go, thousands of trees that are connected in this grove. Thousands upon thousands. And they're all connected to have the same roots. So even if some storm comes or a fire comes and, and burns down a bunch of the trees. Well, guess what? The roots are still there beneath the surface to build each other up. They, they estimate that this one grove of trees in Utah has existed for tens of thousands of years. It's been able to withstand all the pressures of time. And it is the largest living organism on the planet. I believe that that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. You see us individuals standing firm, tall. You can admire an individual Christian. Wow, what perseverance. But when you really talk to the person who's strong and perseveres and is a great father or, or a great wife, a great mother, and, and they're doing incredible things, you're like, how do you do it? And you're like, it's not me. See, I have some deep roots that connect me to a whole community of people who encourage me and challenge me, who have taught me and built me up and raised me to be the strong, tall tree I am today. See, we need each other to stand firm because life is hard and you cannot do it on your own. We need each other. A few months back, Grant Ryder, our, our community pastor, he preached 
through Ecclesiastes, or we preach through Ecclesiastes, but he preached a section in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I love this passage. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. You ever fallen down on your own? And I'm not just talking about physically. That's hard too, but... Emotional, you've fallen down, it's been hard, you've been on your own, you, something's knocked you down. It is so hard to get back up. Sometimes you just want to throw in a towel. But if you have someone else to help you, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. And if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The more relationships you have, the stronger you are. Whether it's a close friend or a community group or a whole church that is there to hold you up. You need it. You need those people around you so that you can be stronger than you ever could be on your own. At one fair in the Midwest, you know, now they do tractor poles if you've ever been to a fair in the Midwest. But they used to do horse poles. And they did this big horse pull, and they were going to try to see how much weight a horse could pull. So there's this big competition, and people brought in their greatest, strongest horses. And the winning horse in this horse pull, and they, you know, they tie it to like basically a sled behind them, and they put the weight on there and increasing weight. And the horse that won was able to, able to pull 4,500 pounds. Pretty impressive. The second place horse pulled 4,400 pounds. That's a lot of weight. Strong horse on its own, right? So then they thought, okay, well, what about if we connected these two horses to one single sled and had them pull? Together, they'd be able to pull about 9,000 pounds, right? Then they tested it. Those two horses together actually pulled 12,000 pounds. Interesting, right? But that's the reality. When we work together, when we have other people to help us, we actually can accomplish more than we could if it was just simple addition. Some of you are are great and you're skilled on your own. But if you had other people around you to help you and encourage you and lift you up, think about how much more you could accomplish. How much more you could do if you had a team of people to help you. And that's what we need. We need a team to help us. I remember hearing this story, um, John Krakauer, he's the author, he wrote Into Thin Air and, and a few other books. And he went on an expedition to climb Mount Everest in 1996. And it was a whole bunch of individuals, you know, the people that are great climbers and wealthy enough to to pay to go on a trip to Everest. And they all got together, this huge team of people, expert climbers. And they were going up, but when you're climbing Everest, you face a lot of weather. There's incredible blizzards. There's wind that's 62 miles an hour. And it was devastatingly hard. And they started getting frustrated and fighting among the team. And some in the team decided to break off. They were the stronger climbers. They could go ahead and they could do it on their own. And in that one expedition... Eight people died. Eight people died on that trip. Why I bring that up is what's more fascinating is another trip that happened five years later, an expedition that involved a a man um, who was actually legally blind. Um, I'm going to look up his name so I can pronounce it right. Eric Weimer. And Eric was legally blind but he wanted to climb Mount Everest, become the first blind man to ever climb Mount Everest. So in 2001, an entire team of people decided to come together to actually really help him. And what they did was they had their route plan. They had the same goal as the first group, right? Summit Mount Everest. 
And they started everything out the exact same way. But what they figured out very quickly is that they struggled because Eric couldn't see. Somebody had to help him. So what they would do is every night the entire team would come together to talk and have a huddle to discuss what went right, what went wrong today, how could we make it better, who's good at this, who's good at that, how could you take your role and do this. And, and what they did is they kept refining their roles as a team. And they got better, and the stronger climbers were able to go ahead and clear a path so that Eric and some of the other climbers can go after. And every night they talked about it to encourage each other to figure out how they could do things better. There was even one point on their trip where they had to, cr- to cross this great chasm. And they had these aluminum ladders that they put, and they, they put them over the chasm because if you fall down, I mean, it just goes down forever, and you're gone and dead. And, and it took them 13 hours to help Eric get across that ladder. 13 hours, the entire team stuck with him the entire way and helped him. And then once they got close to the summit, they realized that because of weather patterns, they would have two hours to summit. Two hours, the whole team. So they talked about it that night at the huddle, and they planned it. They figured out everything, how they could be experts and efficient. And they went up, and and they made it to the summit. And what's amazing is not only that Eric was the first blind man to ever summit Mount Everest, But they set a record by the most people to ever summit in one day. Eighteen people made it that day. Isn't that incredible? And they started out the same way, same goal. And yet they were able to make it so much farther because they worked as a team. Even with someone with great weakness, they were able to make it because they all shared their strengths as well. And that's what we need to do. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think that's what we need to realize. I think that's what Paul was writing. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Be sober about it. You need help. You might be able to go quick at first. You're smart. You're educated. You can do it. You're strong. And you go quick at first, maybe even farther than you could if you had someone else holding you back. But then you do fall down. Something hard happens. Life throws you a curveball. You can't handle it, but if you had some teammates around you, you could. So let's go further, faster by going together, right? And that's what I want to challenge you. Instead of saying, hey, how could I become more skilled, more sociable? How could I make it through? How could I just get tougher, read a self-help book so that I can become better at this thing in life? No, no, no. I want you to realize that you have to be empowered together. Be empowered together. We need each other. We need to challenge each other. We need to encourage each other. And, and we all feel it. I, I, I don't have enough power on my own. Or sometimes I do on, on a good day, but then that bad day hits every few months. I need some help. That's why we need a team of people to help us get through. And, and I think even we can learn a lesson from the lions. Let me show you this little video. As they mature young males begin to explore the boundaries of the pride's territory. Red has ventured out alone. And blundered straight into the middle of the hyena clam. but 20 of them. (laughs) The 
this number of hyenas could kill him. It's impossible to fight them all at once. His ally, Tartu, has heard the commotion. to take on. Isn't that awesome? Man, even if you're the strongest lion, the king of the jungle, you need some help, right? You need some help. That's from Dynasty. It's from, produced by the BBC. I believe you can stream it on Netflix. Um, but yeah, we need that. Even the strongest of us need other people to help us to encourage us and challenge us. So we've got to just admit it. Don't think of yourself more highly than you want, Paul says. Think of yourself with sober judgment. You need to be part of a body that's going to help you, to be there, to support you. So Paul goes on in verse um, 6 to say that we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. See, we all have different gifts. We all have different strengths. And we need in the body different strengths to help us because we also have weaknesses. We have gaps in knowledge and strength and in power. I I can't do that. That's not my thing. I can't do it. We need each other. What I think is really interesting in this passage is this concept of spiritual gifts. And maybe you're new to Christianity, new to this idea. I'm going to have to go real quick today. So I'm not going to go in depth into this. If you have some questions about us, we are going to go a little bit deeper in our midweek podcast, The 10,000. You can listen to that and subscribe. If you have questions about spiritual gifts, we'll do that. So I'm just going to go real quick over this topic. But what I want you to know is when you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. I don't know if you knew that. That's pretty awesome, right? The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. That's God's spirit, God's power inside of you. And when that Holy Spirit comes inside of you, for each one of us, we are given at least one spiritual gift. At least one spiritual gift. And for some of us, it takes some natural gifts and talents that we already had, and it kind of bolsters them up, because now you're doing those same things. So say if you were a teacher, which is one of the gifts we'll talk about, you're like, oh, I was good at teaching. But now when you teach people about spiritual things, all of a sudden it has a spiritual impact. There's a supernatural level to what you were just doing on a natural level. But sometimes it's something completely new when you become a follower of Jesus. There's this new spiritual gift that you didn't even know you had. I've seen people almost completely change personality, it seems like, when they become followers of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit has come inside of them and and begun to do something supernatural. So you don't have to get bitten by a radioactive spider or shot by gamma rays or, or have some new mutation to get supernatural powers. No, 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 it's the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool, right? And every single one of us, it says, every single one of us is given gifts. Now, I want to point out a couple of Greek words in this verse because it's so fascinating. It says, we have different gifts, which is the Greek word charismata, according to the grace, karin, 
given to each of us. Now, I point that out because both of those words are the exact same root word. The word for gift and the word for grace in the Greek have the same root. And you may know that word charismatic from like the English word charismatic. And sometimes we talk about like the churches and you'll go in them and people will be like swinging banners around and dancing. And if you're from that church, awesome. Um, uh, but, you know, our church is maybe a little different. Okay, they're often called charismatics in, in the theological sense. They're charismatics. Well, guess what? Charismatic just means you have spiritual gifts. So we should all be charismatic in that sense, right? God gives each person spiritual gifts. So it says we're given these gifts and according to the grace given to each of us. And I point that out because grace, here's an, an acronym to remember it, is God's riches at Christ's expense. God is saying, you don't deserve this. You haven't earned this, but I want to give you a gift. All you have to do is receive it. That's God out of his pure mercy and love saying, hey, I want to give you something. It's grace. You were a sinner, turned away from me, not following me, and I want to forgive you for all your sins. That's a gift. You don't have to work at it to earn it. No, 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 I'm giving it to you. That's God's grace. Well, God's grace isn't just that we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just that we have eternal life when we should face eternal punishment. That is grace. But grace is also all the good things God gives us, including our spiritual gifts. So, this is going to help us even view ourselves even more soberly, because you will have a spiritual gift, and you'll start to use it, and you'll be like, wow, that was awesome. Something powerful happened. Someone's life got transformed. But instead of saying, because I did that... We're going to say, because God's grace gave me a gift. Even the gifts we use, the strongest strengths we have in our life are a gift from God. Does that make sense? So when we do that, and when something powerful happens, somebody somebody comes up to you and is like, wow, thank you so much for doing that. Say, no, no, that wasn't me. That was God working through me. It's completely his grace, his gift to me. So I want to point that out because as we talk about spiritual gifts, we should continue to have a sober judgment about ourselves. It's humility, right? It's humility to say, this gift I have is a gift from God. It's not that I'm a gifted person. So this is a cool thing. If you're a follower of Jesus here, you are gifted. Isn't that cool? You are supernaturally gifted. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are gifted. Now turn to the other person on the other side. Yeah, you're gifted. A supernatural gift that God has given you. And it's time to use those in community because we need to use them. Somebody else needs you to use the gift that you have. So Paul goes through a list real quick, and he gives several here in this passage, and then there's a few other places like Ephesians chapter 4. If we could jump back, we'll look at verse 7. He gives a couple other lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. But in this passage, he talks about just a few. He says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So here's this list of a bunch of gifts. And he's saying, here's a whole bunch. This isn't all of them. We'll cover a few more in just a second. But he's saying, if you have this gift, use it. Okay? It's meant to be used to help somebody else. You've been given this incredible gift by God. Now go use it. Now go use it. Now he starts with probably the most confusing one in this passage, prophesying. So I'm going to go real quick through these. So pay close attention. Eyes up here. Prophesying. Now we often think of prophesying as foretelling, like I know the future, that's prophecy. That's only a very small fraction of what prophecy actually is. Prophecy means speaking for God or, or speaking from God. So it often is 
foretelling, not just foretelling. And what I mean by that is taking God's word and saying, this is what it says. Someone who has this gift will often have a scripture come to mind that's like perfect for that person at that time. They didn't come up with it. It's not like they're speaking some brand new scripture. No, 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 they're not because we're fallible and errant people. Or I'm sorry, errant people. But we got an inerrant God who gives us an inerrant 66 books. This is God's word that he's given us. And, and this person will have scripture memorized. Things will come to mind. They'll, they'll be like, oh, I, I, this reminded me of a passage. They'll open up and they'll tell you something. And you're like, wow, that was exactly what I needed to hear right then. See, you want some people with the gift of prophecy around you. You might not even know that that's what these people are. And we don't have to call them prophet. I mean, that's kind of weird. So, but, but, you know, they'll say something like, or they'll just be like, I think God is telling me to tell you this. And you're like, oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. How did you know that? Because this person has a gift. Um, this is one that kind of freaks people out. I had a mentor who was very charismatic in the theological sense. But he said, Matt, this gift, put it on the back burner. So if someone comes up to you and say, I have a prophecy for you, for one, it's like, oh, that's a little weird. Um, but if they're like, if I have a word of God for you, you should listen to it. Don't be like, mm, you're weird, get out of here. Listen to it, but put it on the back burner. Okay? Let it simmer for a little while. And if it's from God, and if you've checked it with Scripture, talk to some other people, and you're like, yeah, I think that's true. Good, you've got it there. It's been cooking this whole time. If it's not from God or if it's something weird or that person just had a bad egg roll before they talk with you, then it's not a big deal if it's on the back burner, right? So that's just what I want to say about that gift, okay? So that's the weirdest one on this list for most of us today, let's be honest. But then it it says, if your gift is serving, then serve. Now, we are all called to serve. We're all called to serve. But the people with the gift of serving are the people that are like, Matt, I'll serve anywhere. What do you need? I'll do it. I'll be here early to set up for the chili cook-off, right? Andrew Cruz is one of these guys, and he said, Matt, if you ever need help with anything around the church, just let me know. So this week, nobody else notices this but me, but some of our parking signs were crooked. And I was like, could you just fix that? And he came in yesterday and made them all straight. This is awesome, because he's just saying, I, I want to serve wherever you have a need. I love people that have the gift of service. It's not like I have to be in a particular ministry or anything. I'll just serve. I'll help anybody out. If that's you, that you probably have the gift of serving. If it is teaching, then teach. So this is a gift not just that you're able to teach people and instruct them, but it is a spiritual instruction. So it's teaching from God's word. It may be teaching at Elevate Kids, our kids' ministry, or on Wednesday night at Turbulence. You just love teaching. Or maybe you're a community group leader. When you teach people, or maybe you're someone like, I have a lot of financial knowledge, and I believe I have the gift of teaching. Well, maybe you should teach Financial Peace University here because you can teach people in a way that's going to actually transform their lives spiritually. This can even take the form of some advice if you're someone who's always able to kind of instruct people well. That's a gift. That's a gift that you have, and I want to encourage you to use it. Uh, One area, as I mentioned, turbulence. Sawyer's looking for a couple male student ministry leaders to volunteer to help them out because our teenagers need good male role models, right, in the church. So if that's you and you're like, I may have the gift of teaching, or I might just have the gift of serving. I can show up and do something, right? Don't put me up there to teach, but I, I can serve. That's great. Well, you, you should consider serving there. Another gift, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Man, I love people with the gift of encouragement. You guys are my favorites. Sorry, everybody else. But I love the gift of encouragement because these people will see, and they might not have ever talked to you, but they'll come up to you and encourage you with something. They'll say something about you, and you're like, wow, I needed to hear that right then. I was feeling so down. Man, don't we need these encouraging people in our lives? 
I mean, we're all called to encourage one another, but these people have like a knack for it, saying it at the right time, the right words. They'll say something and you're like, like, whoa, my dad told me when I was 13 the exact opposite. And when you said it with just those words, like it brought back all this stuff that I've been beating myself up with for 20 years. Because that person just had that word of encouragement. They're like, okay, I don't know. Okay, they'll be kind of freaked out. But These people, we have some in our church, and they'll send me cards and emails just like encouraging me for something. I love these people. Keep that up, okay? Those of you who have the gift of encouragement. But think about who could I text? If you're thinking about that, who could I text? Who needs that? You meet somebody and you hear about a tough thing that they're going through, and you're like, I'm going to set a reminder on my phone so I can encourage them. You might have the gift of encouragement. If it is to give, then give generously. Now, everybody's supposed to give. We're all called as followers of Jesus to give and to give generously, especially to tithe. But these people are like, mm, tithe's not enough. Okay, I, I, they want to be generous. They're giving away thousands of dollars, even to the point where other people are looking at them like, you're crazy. But they have a gift for it. And God is blessing them in that. So it seems like they're always able to plan and they have more than they need and they give generously. We're raising that fund for Raise the Roof Fund to, to repair our building right now. Some of you have that gift and, and have given exceedingly generously. I'm blown away by some of the generous gifts that people have given. But even if you don't have a lot of money, you may have this gift because you're the kind of person who you have like two cans of food in your cupboard and you're giving away both of them, right? And you're like, what? People are like, what are you doing? But you're giving away your food. You're giving away your stuff. You get a brand new bike and then you see someone who doesn't have a bike and you give your bike away and people are like, why'd you give away your new bike? I don't know. You have the gift of generosity probably. Okay, you can be generous with your stuff, not just with your money. In our church, we, we have a benevolence fund, and we help people who are in financial need. And we've been doing this kind of behind the scenes for a while, but we're actually trying to right now to put together a benevolence team. People who have like the gift of generosity, who can not only want to give away their money, but could help give away our money a little bit better too. Because they'll look at this, and they'll be happy to do it. We'll talk about mercy in just a second, but if those two things kind of go hand in hand, they'll help somebody who's homeless or struggling, and instead of being like the rest of us who are like, mm, I don't know, they're probably going to waste it and spend it on booze, you know, that's, that's probably don't have the gift of generosity or mercy, but, but if you, they'll be like, oh, I just want to help this person, I'm going to figure out how I can help them and get them back on their feet. You have the gift of generosity or maybe the gift of mercy or maybe a combination, and we need those people for our benevolence team, okay? Come talk with me. I'd love to talk with you about it. If it is to lead, do it diligently. So some people have the gift of leadership, and that word lead here literally means standing up front. This is the person who's willing to be up front. So there's great benefits that coming, come from being up front, but there's also a bunch of negatives too. Because if you're up front, you may get the accolades for what the team did, but if the team struggles or someone messes up on the team, you're the one who faces the brunt because you're standing up front. That's what leadership is. So if you have this gift, though, you say, I don't care if I take the, the arrows for my team. I'm out front. I'm going to do it. I'm going to help lead us forward because I know we can do so much more together. You may have the gift of leadership if that resonates with you. Uh, and we need people to serve at all levels of our church and lead at all levels of our church. So what we look for is not someone saying, hey, I have the gift of leadership. Put me in charge of everything. What we look for, though, is people that are serving somewhere. We always say that leaders pick up trash. Leaders stack chairs because they're working and they're working and working. They're serving faithfully. And then we say, hey, maybe you should step up as a leader in a community group or uh, over this ministry because we need leaders in every single ministry. And then the last one, it says, if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. So this is mercy. This is showing compassion to people that don't deserve it. You, when you heard Melissa Webb 
talk about Ashley Elementary partnership. You're like, oh, I want to give away every clothes that I've ever had. I'm going to go to Walmart today and stock up on coats. You may have the gift of mercy. It, or you're like, um, I don't have any money to give, but I want to go down to Denver Rescue Mission and serve a meal because I just want to rub shoulders with homeless people and love them. You probably have the gift of mercy. And why all these gifts are important is because we need all of them. Some of them, as I go through it, you're like, that's me. Some of them are like, mm, no way. I don't ever want to do that. And that's okay. We all have different gifts. And in fact, Paul goes on to give a whole other list of gifts. And I, I'm just going to go, I tried to summarize all of them that are kind of throughout the New Testament, but there's the gift of discernment. Somebody with a supernatural gift of discernment can, in a sense, it's like discerning the spirit so they can meet someone for the first time and say, there's something wrong with this person. Everybody else is like, oh, they're great. And then all of a sudden they, they steal everything. You know, they're, they're a grifter or something, right? But they just had this gift of discernment that they could sense something off about a person or, or vice versa. So that's maybe someone with the gift of discernment. Someone with the gift of wisdom is likewise able to speak into difficult situations and they just know how to handle it. People will be like, wow, you just have a wisdom. Like, how would you ever even think to do that? They'll be the ones who come up to you and say, mm, I don't think you should get that mortgage. Some of you are like, I wish I would have had someone in my life like that. Okay? But they just have a wisdom for life situations. Someone with the gift of knowledge, they seem to know things that they shouldn't know. They, they understand God's word. and These kind of overlap a little bit, but they, they can speak into a situation too. They'll often say, hey, you know, I, I think God is saying this. and It's like prophecy in a sense. The gift of hospitality too. The gift of hospitality may be you know, generous with making people feel welcome. They're always opening up their homes. They're having people come over for parties. They always want to have Thanksgiving at their house. Even if you're like, man, I live in Denver. I got a one-bedroom apartment that costs $2,000 a month. How do I show hospitality? Well, guess what? That's why we have a welcome team here and a cafe team here in our church. Because we want everyone to come in here and feel welcome. Maybe you should get plugged in there because you can make everybody feel hospitable by using your gift in that way. Keep going. The gift of apostleship. The word apostle means one who is sent out. So this is people who want to go out. So if, if you have this gift, you might be eager to go on short-term mission trips or even become a full-time missionary somewhere around the world. Or maybe you want to help plant a church. If that's something that like gets you fired up, you might have the gift of apostleship. Evangelism. This is sharing the good news. Now, we're all called to share the good news, but these people can't stop doing it. They're bringing it up you know, at the drive through window sharing the gospel, and every lost person they know, they want to bring them to church. And when they share their faith, they might not know anything. They're like, I don't know, I started going to church last week and got saved, but, but you've got to believe this guy. It's, it, it's right. The, the gospel's true. And all of a sudden, like this whole family comes to faith. Like, how, did, how did they do that? They haven't studied apologetics in the Bible. They don't know anything about theology. And yet they have an effectiveness that comes from the Holy Spirit in sharing the gospel. Shepherding. This is someone who shepherds over a group of people. This would be like our pastors in our church. We have elders. Those are kind of positions of shepherding. But you care about the spiritual well-being of a group of people. Community group leaders can be great shepherds if you have that gift because you care about a whole group of people and you want to make sure that they're cared for and loved. Administration. These people are detail-oriented than organized. And they can organize things in a way that make them way more effective. I love people with the gift of administration. I need more of them. Grace Chan is one of those people here in our church. I asked her earlier this year, she said, Grace, I don't even know what I need you to do, but I need help launching the night service. Can you help me coordinate it? She's like, I know what to do. Boom, went off. Help me launch the night service. 
incredibly gifted in administration. Some of you have this gift, and you can make things organized and coordinated. You see patterns. If you're interested in this, we could use some help in our office. Sawyer's looking for a few office volunteers that could come in during the week and help us just get more and more organized and be more effective as a church. Keep going on. These are more of the um, what are sometimes called supernatural gifts. I believe they're all supernatural. But faith, this is someone who just can believe for huge things. They're often taking huge risks and people around them are like, what are you, crazy? But They have the gift of faith and they believe things for people. Or, or they'll believe in a person when everybody else has turned their back on them. This person just believes. Gift of healing. Now, a lot of these people en- enter um, like the medical field. You may not, e- not even know you have the gift of healing, but you're praying for your patients. And you have like a, an extraordinarily high success rate. Is it science? Is it miracle? What's going on here? Well, come back for our God and Science series. We'll talk about it. But the point is that, like, you know, people are healed, whether it's physically or emotionally, through you being with them. The gift of miracles, these people tend to pray and see miracles happen, things that's just unheard of. The gift of tongues, now another one that kind of freaks people out. But according to the scripture, this is speaking in a, in a different language than one you know, often in prayer or, or primarily probably in prayer. So some of you may have this gift. Some of you may not even know it, and you're praying on your own and it, you know, just kind of things come out of your mouth and you're saying, what the heck just happened? But you feel connected to God. Yeah, you may have the gift of tongues. It can be a private prayer language. So this is just going really quick through these spiritual gifts, right? And that's not even scratching the surface on these. But what I want you to do is look at this and realize I have at least one of those spiritual gifts that the people around me need. I have been empowered by God with the Holy Spirit, and I need to empower others because we need to be empowered together. So the Holy Spirit does, and we need each other to do these things. And this is a whole other level. Some of you are like, man, I don't know about this whole supernatural thing. Well, of course, come back for the next series. You're going to be convinced of it, I, I think. But God is doing amazing things. It may just feel like, oh, that's a natural thing to be the, an encourager. No, 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 that's a gift from God. It's supernatural the way that some of you encourage others. So we need to use those. So how do I figure out which one is mine? Good question. If you looked in the buzz this week, I sent out a link that had a spiritual gifts test that you could take online. You could even just do a basic Google search for an app or online Google and say, hey, spiritual gifts test. None of them are perfect. If they were, they'd be in the Bible. But they are helpful. You'll fill out a bunch of questions and it will kind of say, hey, you may have these two or three gifts. And then what I want you to do, so I want everybody to do this if you haven't done it. If you do this, you take a spiritual gifts test online. It says, hey, you may have these three gifts. What I want you to do is take that and talk about it at your community group this week. Take out some other Christians you know here in the church and say, hey, let's talk about it. Let's chat. It said I have this gift, but I don't know. And they'll either be like, you definitely have that gift or "Mm, probably not. (laughs) Don't think of yourself too highly, right? You don't have that. But it may be just like a little bit. Like I've kind of encouraged people and somebody are like, yeah, oh my gosh, you encouraged me so much. I never would have gotten that job without you. I'm like, oh, maybe I do have a gift. Okay, so that's why other people can help you do it. So I want to encourage you to do that. Take the test. Talk about it at your community group. And then the third thing I want you to do is serve somewhere. We need each other and we need you to serve. You're part of the body of Christ if this is your church home. You know what this is? Okay. If you look on the front page of your bulletin, this is something new we're trying, okay? High tech. 
technology, right? We're going to use technology to keep us connected. There's this QR code on the bottom. If you take out your phone, if you have an iPhone especially, you can open up the camera, and if you just, like, put it... I can't see what I'm doing. If you put it over there, the QR code will come up, and it'll say openchurchcenter.com link. Okay, so I want everybody to do this. So take out your phones and do this. And, and you can pull up that link, and it will take you to a form from our church. It says serve somewhere at the top. top. Now, if you... QR code isn't working, you don't have an iPhone or a phone that, that works with QR codes, you can just go to stapletonchurch.com. So if you're watching online, you can do this too. Go to stapletonchurch.com and scroll down a little bit, and there's a button that says Serve Somewhere. What we want to encourage you to do is fill that out. And we're going to give you a minute right now to do that today, to fill this out. And if you're already plugged in and serving somewhere, you don't have to do this again But if you're like, hey, I I don't know what my gifts are or I want to get plugged in and and help other people because you'll also be helped as you do it, right? Then I I want you to fill this out. And we have um, five, or I'm sorry, six different ministry areas and then each one. And what I want to encourage you to do is is try. Try some of those things. Because you you might be like, I have the gift of teaching, but kids scare me. (laughs) You probably shouldn't get plugged in and elevate kids, okay? You might be like, I don't have the gift of teaching but i love kids maybe you have the gift of serving you should volunteer and elevate kids because we can get you plugged in somewhere so we're going to try and, and, and I, I encourage you to try a few different ministries is just to try one say is this the best fit am i passionate about it and gifted here then that's where we want you to be try it if it doesn't work that's okay move on to another one you can fill out that form too and there's no obligation to serve anywhere you're getting just some information back what you will have happen is for each ministry you click, you'll probably get at least one email. <laughs> Somebody will reach out to you and say, hey, we'd love for you to serve at Denver Rescue Mission. That's what Kenan's going to say. He's like, I'd love for you to serve at Denver Rescue Mission. Here's a way that you can do it. Now, you can respond and say, okay, I'll do it. Or you can just say, mm, those nights don't work for me in my schedule right now, maybe in the future. Maybe another ministry would work. So fill out as many things as you might be interested in. Okay, does that make sense? So as the band comes up right now, I want you to take two minutes and fill that form out and send it to us. Okay? You can be on your phone for the next two minutes. And I'm going to say a prayer for us. Lord God, I'm grateful for this church that um, I have felt so loved here. We have felt so loved as being part of this community. And I, I pray that everyone would be able to experience that. There are people who are struggling right now and feel alone. They've moved away from their family and friends. They've tried to do it on their own, but they are willing to admit with sober judgment that they can't. Lord God, I pray that you put them in the right relationships and community, friendships of people that would care about them, love them, um, lift them up. Lord God, use each one of us that way because maybe we're doing okay right now. But Lord God, that means that you have put us in someone else's life to encourage and build them up, to love them and serve them with our gifts. You've gifted each one of us by your grace in so many different ways. May we use them and may we together be empowered. 